Hey, good morning and welcome to Cold Springs. My name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we've been talking about Regen for a number of weeks and it has started and you're thinking, oh, uh, good, I missed it. I don't have to sign up anymore, even though you're sort of feeling like you should have. Uh, good news for you, bad news, whatever, is, is that it's still open. There's still an opportunity to join it. The time is closing where it'll become a closed group but um, there's still an opportunity to join in. If you want more information, go back to the Connection Corner and somebody can help you out there and signing up for that and learning about it. Uh, because it really is about um, our transformation, your transformation of experiencing Jesus in a, in a greater way, in a deeper way. So um, it's one of the ways that we help each other to grow and to be like Jesus and to grow into the life of Jesus. Let's pray together before uh, we open up God's word today, okay? Jesus, thank you um, that you are the God who transforms, that you are the one who doesn't give up on us, that there is none of us that are too far. There's none of us that is too broken. There's none of us that is too sinful for your grace. And as Dwight shared, it's that's the very entrance point um, to enter into all that you have for us is to acknowledge our need for you. And Lord, we need you this morning. And, and Lord, we, we need to hear from you. We need your Holy Spirit to speak into our lives through your word today. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you will speak. And Lord, I pray that we will listen that we will be attentive to what it is that you are inviting us into, the very practical, the very real thing, the step that we will take so that we can experience more of you and the life that you have offered us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. We've been in a series of messages called Beyond Survival. And um, as we come in, uh, into this part, we've been talking about basically about relationships, about marriage and about family and parenting. And I'd asked you to give us some feedback of what is it that you would like to hear about. And um, a number of you responded, of which I appreciate that. And as I looked at those responses, they really, a lot of them had to do with the whole thing of relationship, of how do we do relationship? How do we do relationship in our family in these different seasons? How do we do relationship in our marriage? How do we do relationship as somebody here in the church and, and with, with other people? And so this morning, that's what I want to, um, for us to look at together. Is, is that what does it look like for us to do relationship? How does relationship work? And with the idea that none of us is an island, no one's an island, that we were designed for a relationship with one another, and God has some things to say about that. And I want to begin with a, a scripture passage. And so if you have your Bible, it's not going to be up on the screen, uh, or you're using the Bible there and chair in front of you, I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is towards the back of the book um, in the New Testament. And um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the writer of Hebrews is addressing the gathered people of God, the church in that world at that time. And God continues to address the church, the gathered people of God, in today through these same words. In, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, this is what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 
not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, again, this was written to the church, but when you think about this, when you look at these words, consider, meditate on these words, one of the things that you will see is, is that it doesn't have to do with just gathering together as a, as a church on a Sunday morning or in other, some other group of people, but it really has to do with how relationships work and the importance of relationships. Let me share a story with you. Uh, I was talking with a friend of mine here recently in and he had been in a big transition. He'd moved um, from Nevada out to Oklahoma and, uh, it, for, for a new job. And so that meant uprooting the family. And, and his wife left her job there in Nevada. And, and so she was trying to figure out what new job she was going to have in Oklahoma. And his opportunity was very invigorating and exciting for him. So he's pouring himself into his work. Lots of cool things going on. And, and as we were talking, though, he, there was this frustration that he was expressing that there was a disconnect that was happening that was taking place between him and his wife something that was different unusual for them because they had been really together when they had been sort of in their old life but here in their new life with all these new opportunities and exciting things that were going on there was a disconnect and 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 they were busy and and there was lots of things that were going on but that busyness had thrown them out of rhythm and they had were had drifted and were drifting and and so we talked a little bit about that and i said that i'd pray for that and then later we talked and and i asked him how things were going with his wife and with his family he says oh we're, they're going so much better i said well what happened he said, well, what we figured out was is that we'd lost the rhythms that we had had of connection in our old life, and then all the busyness and the newness that we weren't spending time together, that we weren't taking time just to be with one another, to, to be face-to-face, to talk with each other, and that we had become disconnected. Can anybody say amen? Anybody ever experience anything like that ever in your life in any sort of relationship. You see, there's a longing in humanity. You know, you know, it's interesting within my friend's story is, is that there was a ton of good things that were happening. There were a lot of blessings that were taking place. And yet, because of this disconnect in relationship, all of that was colored. Because the very foundational, the most important thing, relationship, was being compromised in some way. There's a longing in all of humanity, and the longing of all humanity is this, is to be fully known and fully loved. Now, the reality is, is this, is that that, that, that whole thing of being fully known and fully loved, that is what God offers us. That is the story. That is the the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus came down to this earth to, for God so loved the world, which you and I are part of, and it's not because we're so awesome, just so you know. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. It was from love. That he knew us and he loved us. Fully known, fully loved. Psalm 103, um, verse 17 says this, But the steadfast love of the Lord 
is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. In Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I've continued my faithfulness to you. The story of God is that he knows you fully. And he loves you perfectly. But there's no surprises to God in your life. And he still loves you. Now, here's the thing, though, is about this whole thing of being fully known and fully loved. Is that we... Pretty much all of us believe that if you really knew me, though, then you really wouldn't love me. If you really knew the thoughts, feelings, actions that I have in my life, in my history, in my story, then you really, you really wouldn't. I don't think you would love me. And the tension is this, is that, that God shows his love through people. That the expression of love comes through the people around us. Okay, I want you to open up your Bibles to another passage. It's in the Gospel of John. So the Gospel of John is the fourth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Acts is the, the book after that. And John is one of the books, those four books, the Gospels, tell the story of Jesus' life. And in John 17, Jesus is coming to the end of his life here on this earth, and he is praying. John 17 is oftentimes referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus because he is praying for the disciples and then he's praying for the people who will be disciples because of his disciples. He's praying for those who will believe and he prays for the world. And in John 17 verses 22 and 23 is a part of this prayer of Jesus. And this is Jesus praying to his heavenly father. John 17 verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. To his followers, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me. Now, now just stop there for a second. I mean, just sort of think about this. Sort of try to wrap your head around it. That Jesus is praying for those who are following him and saying, the glory that I've given them is that they may be one in the same way that the Holy Trinity exists. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That depth of unity, that depth of oneness, that's a pretty mind-blowing concept. But that's what Jesus is praying. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Do you see the purpose of God's unity, of that, of that glory coming upon us from Jesus, that, that unity of, of one towards another is so that the world that we live in, the people, our family members, our neighbors, our coworkers would know the reality of the depth of the love of God towards them. That's a pretty, that's a pretty amazing prayer. That's an amazing prayer idea. God shows his love through people. So fully known, fully loved, it is the promise of God for those who will receive him, and yet he asks us to do that in the world, in the relationships around us. Um, 
I don't know if you guys had heard this, but we've been in a pandemic. Did anybody know that? Have anybody ever heard that word? You're supposed to laugh, right? It's a joke, all right? I know it's not a joke anymore, but, you know, come on, humor me here. First service was, you guys are worse than the first service, man. Come on, loosen up. Have another cup of coffee. I don't know. What is it? So, but, you know, here's the thing is that um, this pandemic of COVID of in this social experiment around how we're going to deal with that, it actually led to an even greater pandemic. There's a pandemic of loneliness, of the isolation that people found themselves in and what it did to them emotionally, mentally, spiritually. In 2020, there was a survey. 2020, this is sort of before really COVID, it said this, according to a survey conducted in January 2020, more than three out of five Americans feel chronically lonely. 60% of Americans feel chronically lonely. That's not that just sort of like, oh, having a bad day, you know, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, I think I'll eat worms, you know, sort of a moment of which we all have. No, this is a sense of this deep loneliness and isolation that we can have. And that social isolation affects every aspect of our mental health and our physical health. It can lead to suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts to less restful sleep, a decreased ability to regulate our eating, more stress, and greater difficulty to accomplish complex tasks. Now, there's a difference between being alone and loneliness. I mean, being alone is, is that, you know, where people aren't around us, that we're alone. And, and loneliness is, though, is, a, is an emotional state. It is an emotional isolation that we find ourselves in. And it doesn't matter whether we're with people or not. You know, and if we're sort of a, a normal sampling of this survey, then, then 60% of the people that are sitting around you have this sense of chronic loneliness. That even though sitting in a room of people, there's a sense that I am by myself. Loneliness is a result of emotional isolation. And here's the thing you have to understand about this. We're spiritual people. God has created us as spiritual people. We live in a spiritual world. And loneliness, that sense of chronic loneliness... That is a part of spiritual warfare. Because Satan wants nothing more than to separate you because he is about killing, stealing, and destroying. And isolation is the way that he does that. And so the more isolated that we find ourselves, we are in a spiritual battle. And yet, we have this deep longing to be fully known and fully fully loved. So um, a few years ago when I was in my doctoral ministry studies, I, I did a paper on um, about spiritual formation. And one of the books I read was a book by Joseph Myers, The Search to Belong, uh, Rethinking Intimacy, Community, and Small Groups. And in that book, he was um, using some uh, work that Edward um, T. Hall had done, an American anthropologist around proxemics or the study of how people use and relate to the space around them. And one of the things he found is, is that um, all of us operate in four spaces, 
And that, those four spaces are important to us when, we, when it comes to relationship. And so one of those spaces is public space. And that's where we have common group experiences, just based upon, you know, sort of common interests that we might be. So are there any, uh, any uh, Sacramento Kings fans? All right. You guys should get together and talk about how the Kings are doing, how De'Aaron Fox is like, man, can you believe they won over 40 games? They have a winning season, you know, since the 2005, 2006, where they're going to make it in the playoffs. You can sit around and you can talk about all kinds of things. All right. Any Raiders fans? Yeah. Okay. You are by yourself, by the way, so um, I'm not sure what to do about that. Um, yeah. Um, Bears fans. Any Bears fans? Thank you very much, Jim. I appreciate that. So, yeah, well, we're going to get along. So, uh, Giants fans. Any Giants fans, right? I remember when, you know, and the Giants are winning all their championships a long, long time ago, right? It's like, hey, everybody's Giants fans. You're talking about it. You're wearing jerseys, all those sorts of things. That's public space. And then you go home and you forget about each other and you really don't know each other or anything like that. But you've been in the same place. Android users, iPhone users, you know, <laughs> Apple Watch users, whatever. They sort of, that's your public space. But then there's social space. And social space is the small talk of relationships. That's where we begin to be known and to know other people a little bit. It's that small talk is extraordinarily important. They found it within marriages, within families. If you destroy small talk, if you that's why long distance relationships can really be hard to, to maintain, is because of the small talk is not there. And the small talk is about sort of neighbor relationships. You can be neighbors and not be friends, right? You, you can know your neighbor's names, and you can sort of know maybe even what they do or what car they drive, but you're really not connected in relationship. And you, but you're also observing, do I fit in? Are these people like me? Am I like them? Do I want to like them? Do they want to like me? And then there's some self-revelation self of who we are, but in the way that we want people to see us. So we, you know, we have a lot of, you know, sort of, uh, facades that we put up, masks that we can put up. But it, it's an important space because then within that social space, we can move to personal space. And personal space is where we begin to tell our story. We share personal and private experiences and feelings and, and thoughts about life and about who we are and the people around us. And then that fourth space is called intimate space. And the intimate space, one of the terms for that is naked experiences. It's where we are fully known, and we are fully loved. It is where we share the good, the bad, the ugly with other people, and there's not shame or rejection that comes with that. We see some examples of that intimate space in, in Scripture. One of those is the relationship between Jonathan and David. Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the king of Israel, and David was being elevated by God to be the king of Israel, and Saul didn't like it, so he kept trying to kill David. And Jonathan, Saul's son, was David's best friend. Talk about a little bit of conflict. And this is what, what happened between Jonathan and David. It's 1 Samuel 20, 17. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. That's an intimate space of relationship. And then there's also within Ruth and Naomi and where, where it said, you know, your people will be my people. And, and there's this depth of relationship. It's intimate space. It, it can be very difficult 
to get to that intimate space. But it's an important relationship that we experience. Now, when we think about the relationships that we have in our life, there are some relationships that we all need. And I'm going to talk about those now. And I want to talk about them in relation to these spaces that we can occupy. And one of those relationships is our family of origin. In the family of origin, every one of us, we all have a family of origin, the F-O-O, the foo. All right? Everybody say foo. Foo. Sort of fun, isn't it? Right? Foo. Our family of origin. They're, they're, you know, those are our roots. So those are the, the, the people that we came from. And we find our sense of belonging in our family of origin. And no matter how messed up or how broken, there's a need to know and to understand our family of origin. Part of our family journey of my wife and I, Pam, is that we have adopted children and we have have biological adopted children and and foster children. And it, it has been so interesting in that journey within our adopted children and our foster child is that they're the importance of knowing and making a connection with their family of origin and, and how that was a, a drive for them, even though their, their family of origin is dysfunctional and, in fact, in some cases, harmful. But there's this longing to know who, what are my roots? Who do I belong to? Where do I come from? And, and here's the thing is, is that all of us are broken, and all of our family of origin is, is broken. Romans 3.23 says this, that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, there are no normal families. Kids, pay attention to me right now, all right? You want perfect parents. They are not. They are notorious sinners, sort of like you are, Right? That there are no perfect families. Is that, you know, Pam and I, we used to always joke, it's like, well, there's another dollar in the therapy jar. <laughs> By the way, I put a lot more money in the therapy jar than my wife did, so, just so you know. Because I'm broken, I'm sinful. And then, you know, part of that family of origin is that we come from a family of origin, but then we create a family of origin, don't we? The old Bible talks about leaving and cleaving of a husband and wife coming together and becoming one, and then they start their own family of origin. And the hope is, I think, as followers of Jesus, is that, that we are, are, are more righteous, we are more healthy than our family of origin as we walk more with Jesus. You know, that's been always been my prayer, and I'm very thankful for my family of origin. My mom and dad were married, I think, 66 years. My dad just passed away last August. I'm so grateful and so thankful for what they gave to me, but they were perfect, imperfect. They were broken, just as I am. So then there's, but then there's the family of God, the fog. Say fog, fog. So you got foe and fog. So the family of God is what we are experiencing here today. Now I want you to open up to another passage in the Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. It's a story about Jesus, Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 through 50. It's a very interesting story about the family of God and family of origin and how those two work together. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus 
is talking to a group of people. It says, while Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So you sort of get in your mind that Jesus is in probably some house, um, some gathering of people all around him. His mom and his brothers show up outside, and they want to talk to him. And so they send somebody in to ask Jesus, say, hey, tell Jesus, family's here, we want to talk to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Ouch, really, Jesus? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, what is Jesus saying in that? I mean, that's a, that's a fairly radical statement of what he is making. And one of the things that Jesus is saying is, is that your family of faith is more important than your family of origin. That your family of faith has more impact, can have more impact than your family of origin. It is in, in, extraordinarily important. And the family of faith is called the church. It's the thing that, that God raised up, that God designed to, to bring community together and to show his love to the world. And he didn't have a plan B. Now, I'm going to take a poll here, and I got, want you to be really honest, okay? I want you to be completely honest. Here's the question. Has anybody here ever been disappointed by the church? Anywhere. Okay, so those of you who didn't raise your hand, number one, you're either lying or you haven't been here long enough, all right? Because you will be if you hang around long enough. Because the church is just like you and me, right? The, the, the church is like people, delightfully, imperfectly, frustratingly real, just like every one of us. And yet, it's God's chosen instrument. So how do we engage with the family of faith? One is just what we're experiencing right now within our worship gathering. In our worship gathering, if you go back to those spaces, it's about public space to social space. That is, it's about you know, coming, and, and if you're going to be engaged, one of the things you have to do is you just simply have to show up. You have to show up in order to experience relationships. Now, here, here's the thing I want to, I want to do real, real quick, is that I want to acknowledge and affirm the introverts in the room today, right? Which is, happens to be about 50% of the population. Because the introverts are like, okay, I need to show up, I need to show up. It's like, really? Okay, so the introvert plans their trip to church to arrive two minutes after the service starts. Because by then, the music has started, the lights are down, and most people have come in, and they can sit into, they, hopefully there's a seat on the outward edge, so that they can, they can slip in, and nobody will see them, and they have to talk to the least amount of people. And then, at the end of the service, is that they, they see the last chorus happening in the song, and they're like, okay, now's the time to exit. We're going to slip out, and we're going to slip out the door and again, we're going to try not to talk to as many people. And then they go home and take a nap because it took so much energy to deal with all of those people in the same room. Amen, anybody? Okay. Yeah. I'm married to an introvert, by the way. I'm married to an introvert who teaches 140 students a day and then goes and runs for an hour and a half to recover from it every day. 
out in the trails by herself. But if you're going to be in relationship, you have to show up. To show up, and here's here's some here's some ways to, to to do that. To enter, to move from public space to social spaces. To sit to next to someone you recognize, but maybe you don't know. And and then and then maybe just look at them and smile, right? To loiter. You know what? We allow loitering here at Cold Spring Church. We actually encourage that loitering would take place. That's why the coffee is out there. You know, it's amazing what a little cup of paper cup can do in a relationship to create safety in, with a group, particularly guys. Like, you know, two cups of coffee? It's like, yeah, I can talk to you. Take the coffee away. No, I can't talk to you. Grab that cup of coffee. And take a risk. Make eye contact. Smile. Say hello to somebody. And then if you want to take a bigger risk, is, is that to loiter and to introduce yourself to someone. Go to the connections corner and find out what's going on. That's moving from that, okay, I'm, I'm here in the same space, to I'm going to begin to engage in the small talk. To see, are you people that I want to hang out with? You know, one of the mistakes that really, and probably you've experienced even around church, is that, is that churches do this. It's like they take somebody who's first time here, and the classic example is, is that I want all first-timers to stand up and to tell us your deepest, darkest secret, all right? Because we have a gift bag for you if you do it. It's a cup. It's a mug because you don't have any more mugs in your homes, I'm sure, right? That's a, that's a total violation. We were like, no, I don't want to do that. Life group gathering is moving from a public space to a private space here. Our life groups are our small groups that meet in people's homes and here at the church throughout the week. And it's where we begin to share more of our personal stories. And we are begin to be known and to know other people. And to do that, you have, you know, go to the Connections Corner and, and to sign up. We launch our, we're very intentional about our life groups. We launch them three times a year. And they last about eight weeks. And so there's an on-ramp. You know, a clear, how do you start? And there's an off-ramp. Has anybody ever been a part of a group and you're like, when can I get out of this, right? Man, I showed up, but I don't want to be here anymore. We recognize that might be reality. But we encourage you to try it. If it doesn't work for you, then stop going. But give it another chance to maybe another group. And maybe God's prompting you to start a group. And then there's our mentoring ministry. You've heard about this because we keep talking about it. It's something that's really important. It's core to us of being mentored, mentoring somebody or mentoring one another, of engaging in an intentional one-on-one relationship with another person to grow intentionally into your life. But, you know, that's moving from that social to private space and maybe even, if you choose, the private space to the intimate space. And we know that's a risk. But any relationship growth, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in parenting, whether it's in a family, whether it's in a friendship, you have to take a risk. You have to make a choice. There's one other relationship that I think that is critically important that many of us never engage in. And it's what I call the FOF, the fuff. Say that, fuff. Very good. That's not nearly as fun to say, is it? It's the family of flourishing. 
the family flourishing. Let me read to you the definition of flourishing from the dictionary. It says, to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, vigorous way, especially as a result of a particularly favorable environment. In John 15, 15, Jesus says this to his disciples. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to those 12 disciples, those closest disciples that he chose. He said, we're, we're going to walk together in life, and you're, you're my friends. That's a pretty powerful thing, that the, the God of the universe would call you a friend. Fully known, fully loved. And if you're going to have a family of flourishing, it's intentional. It's, it's three to six people, at the most six people. And there has to be an alignment of your goals and your values and your commitment to engage in intentional relationship and life together. And so here's the formula for the family of flourishing. If you're going to engage in a family of flourishing, one is it, it's intentional and it's meaningful spiritual conversations. Intentional, meaningful spiritual conversations. Intentional is, is that you have to be present. You have to be proactive. You're like, oh, I don't have a family of flourishing. You know, I wish that somebody would, you know, like invite me into a family of flourishing. That sounds like a really good idea. Well, maybe you need to be proactive and you maybe you need to discover that group of people that's going to help you to flourish. But if you do, you have to be available. You have to create space. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to say no to something in order to say something yes to something better. And meaningful. A meaningful relationship means that, that you're going to be truthful. Ephesians 4.15 says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, I've known a lot of people who, who really love to tell the truth, right? It's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's rare to find somebody who will say, I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to love you. And you're going to know that I love you when I tell it to you because of the way I tell it to you and how I walk with you after I tell it to you. Those are the kind of people we need. Meaningful. To, to be meaningful, you have to be vulnerable. You have to open up. You have to choose to make that choice to reveal who you are. You have to be humble. You have to be humble, and, and, it's, and a meaningful relationship is, is also a spiritual relationship. So if it's an intentional, meaningful, spiritual, the spiritual is, is that you're moving forward. You're not looking back. You're not living in the past. You're living into who God is calling you to be. Let's look at um, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes these words. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Anybody perfect here? All right, you're in the same category as Paul. Not perfect. Not that I'm perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I am Jesus's, and so I have the power to move forward. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. I'm not perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead 
I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let me say something really plain here from Paul's words. Is that you, if you are living in the past in your life, you will never be able to move forward. If the past is the thing that determines where you are today, then you will never be able to move forward. What Paul, the secret of what Paul has here is, is that it's what Jesus has done in his future that shapes his present that overcomes anything in the past is the most important thing. It's the most transforming thing. It's growth, not stuck. Same passage, Philippians 3, 12 through 14. It's empowered and not selfish. So here's something. Here's a newsflash. It's something really important I want you to, I want you to know. It's not always about you. And you're thinking, okay, family flourishing. I need this. I want this. I've got to have this. If I'm going to have a group of people, who am I going to have around me? Well, think about this. Who needs you around them? And you're thinking, oh, I'm too messed up. You don't know my story. I've, I, I, am, I, am a, I am a hot mess. I'm a cold mess. I'm an all mess. You know, I, my life is too screwed up. There's no way. Well, you know what? Maybe the very brokenness that you are ashamed of and that you're trying to hide is the very thing that somebody else needs to know to know that God can love them too. Paul said, my power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more in my weakness. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, For God, who said, light shine out of the... Let light shine out of the darkness as shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Man, that's a lot of words. That God has spoken Jesus into your life, that there is a light in you that is greater than any darkness. And that includes anything that you've done or been done to you in the past. And then he says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's our bodies. So to, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not about what you can do. It's about what God is doing and will do in you. Intentional, meaningful, spiritual conversations. Conversations. It's in us. It's in not you or me. It's about being real and, and not right in church we're really good about being right you know we have to look right I have to be right I have to act right I have to speak right it's about being real it's about grace not judgment and it's face to face it's shoulder to shoulder I'm not going to steal all of Daniel's thunder um, who's going to be speaking as a youth pastor into kids lives and parents a parenting kids and young adults. But one of the things that, that's coming out is, is that this thing and the social media that most of our kids find their, their, the source of their primary relationship is destroying their lives. Because you can't have a relationship through social media because it's not real. And they're not making the space to have it be face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder. It's the only way. 
Did you have real relationship? Fully known, fully loved. That's what every one of us wants. It's what the gospel offers. And it's what you and I, as God's people, are called into to move towards in our life and our relationships with the, with the people around us. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, Jesus says, that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. You are the message of love in the world today. So here's your assignment. Here's my question for you. How are you going to move? from whatever space you're finding yourself in right now into the next space? What, is, what risk are you going to take to move into the next space? Because it is what God is inviting you to do so that not only you can you experience the love of God, but you can be the love of God in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you the ultimate sacrifice. You, the Son of God, came from eternity, came from heaven here on this earth so that we could know the greatest of love. And now we know this morning, Jesus, that so that we could be the greatest of love in the world. Lord, I pray that we, Cold Springs Church, we, the people, God, that you've gathered together, that we would know your, the greatness of your love so that we could be the greatness of your love in the world. Lord, give us the courage to take one more step that would draw us closer and deeper into the relationship, into the space that you're inviting us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.